This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Open your Bible to Psalm chapter 40. In 2016, Fuller Seminary filmed an interview between Bono, the lead singer of U2, and Eugene Peterson, who is the author of a Bible translation called The Message. Bono had publicly said multiple times how much he had been helped by Peterson's translation of the Bible, and specifically the book of Psalms. And so the seminary set up a meeting where the two of them talked about Scripture, and especially the Psalms. Now, the video tells a story of how at one point, Bono asked Eugene to be his special guest, like an airplane coming to pick you up, take you to Chicago, to the concert, front row seats, dinner with the band, all this stuff. And um, Peterson declined because he was up against a book deadline. It's the first time any author has ever said no to anything to meet a book deadline, probably. Um, He was working on finishing the Old Testament. Um, The video shows this professor named Dean Nelson who told Peterson in front of an an audience, you may be the only person alive who would turn down that opportunity to meet a deadline. I mean, come on, it's Bono for crying out loud. Without missing a beat, Eugene Peterson said, Dean, it was Isaiah. (laughs) In the interview, Bono noted what set the Psalms apart was how the psalmist is brutally honest about the explosive joy that he's feeling and also deep sorrow and confusion. And haven't we seen both of those in the first 40 chapters of this great book? To borrow borrow Bono's language, we might describe the psalm we arrive at today as a brutally honest explosion of joy. As David remembers how God saved him from an extended time of deep sorrow and confusion. Bono and his band, U2, actually recorded a a version of Psalm 40, which I've been listening to since I was in middle school, I think. The song begins like this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. I will sing, sing a new song. And we're about to read the first few verses of Psalm 40, and you'll see those opening phrases are word for word what is in the Bible. The difference, though, comes as it reaches the chorus, where Bono just simply sings, how long, how long to sing this song? How long, how long to sing this song? But that's not how Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 3 go. They tell the story of this long-awaited time that David had been singing how long, how long, over and over. But now, the waiting is over. He's not singing how long, but he's singing praise God. So many of you may find it far easier this morning to sing how long instead of praise God. Some of you are going through incredibly challenging seasons of waiting on the Lord and crying out to him for something specific, you may have barely had the strength to make it in here this morning. We are so glad that you are. 
Some of you feel like your, your life might be just stuck in the mud. And scripture welcomes us to be brutally honest before God with how things are going. But our passage today invites us also to look back into our past for just a moment and to recall a time, a dark time, when you were stuck in a pit with no way out. And as you think back on that time to then praise God for his deliverance, perhaps it was in a dimly lit hospital room where you were unsure you would ever walk out and see the light of day again. Um, Maybe it was the news of having uh, lost uh, a child through miscarriage. I I got a text from a dear friend this morning where that is the case. Or maybe it was the death of someone dearly loved in your family. Perhaps the pit that comes to your mind is a season where you were just sinking in your own sin. But how God pulled you out of that pit and saved you. And then put a song in your heart of all that he had done in your life as a testimony to how good and gracious and patient and loving your God is. Of course, is there a sweeter song that we could sing than when God pulled us out of the pit of our death and sin and brought us to life in Jesus Christ? There's no sweeter song. What has God saved you from? That's what I want us to think about this morning. Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 through 3, is a song where King David looks back into the darkness of his past and gives thanks to the Lord for his remarkably saving work. He sings of how desperate his condition was, but how good the reach of God's grace is. He also looks forward to what God will do because of other people hearing this testimony, bringing praise to God. So as we look back on how God delivered us, we also look forward to knowing there are more moments that await us when we will need God's deliverance. And these verses give us language to sing whether our hearts are crying out how long or whether this morning you're praising God. Um, We were supposed to make it through this whole chapter today, Psalm 40. I couldn't get past the first three verses this week. And so next week, I'm going to preach all of Psalm 40, and I'll tell you about that uh, before the benediction. But I can't get past these first three verses. They are just so filled with truth for you and I this morning. What I want to do is focus in on this, the great salvation of the king. And in three ways. First, the great need for salvation. Second, the great work of salvation. And third, the great promise of salvation. So that's where we're headed. Would you please stand your feet once more as we read from God's holy and inerrant word. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Amen. Would you please be seated?
the psalm begins by singing of the great need for salvation. We see this in both verses 1 and 2. David never graduated from being completely dependent upon the Lord. Even as the king of God's people, he models this reliance upon God for everything. As David recalled a specific time he needed the saving work of God in his life, he reflects on two simple things that he did. The first thing he did was wait. The Hebrew lyrics that open this song are literally, waiting I waited. And sometimes waiting on the Lord feels just like that. Waiting, we wait. David introduced the theme of waiting back in Psalm chapter 25, verse 3, where he confessed, Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Two verses later, he confesses to God in prayer, I wait for you. And then, between Psalm 27 and 39, where we've covered a lot of that ground this summer, David reminds God in prayer that he's been waiting for him four times, while at the same time telling you and me four different times that we also should wait on the Lord. David has waited and waited and waited and waited. But now, the time of waiting is no more. Like those unforecasted clouds that, slept, that swept across these plains on Wednesday afternoon, finally bringing rain. The waiting is no more. From here on in this passage, David will simply recount what happened as he waited patiently for the Lord. Waiting, he waited. Second, he also cried to the Lord. Now we know that he cried out because verse 1 tells us how the Lord heard his cry. In the first 40 psalms in this treasury of David, we've heard him cry to the Lord about everything under the sun when he needed wisdom for the next step to take in his life. Or as the king, he cried to the Lord. When enemies were breathing down his neck, he cried to the Lord. As he was being hunted by his own family member, he cried to the Lord. When he was so depressed, he could barely speak, he cried to the Lord. When he had sinned against God, he cried to the Lord. There is no circumstance in the Christian life where it is not appropriate to cry to the Lord. You have open access to him, and he never gets tired of your neediness. Cry to the Lord. I love that Jordan reminded us last week how often we uh, complain to everyone around us or perhaps on social media about all the problems of the world when we have the very ear of God that we can approach. Let us cry to the Lord. David found himself in countless situations where he knew he was not able to save himself. He knew that God alone could rescue him. Perhaps these verses are just what we need to remember that the way out of our biggest problems is not by our own determination or will, not by our strength or even our ability to problem solve. All too often we're trying to be the Savior instead of waiting on and crying out to him who is the Savior. What are you waiting on the Lord for right now? What are you crying out to him about right now? As we consider these two verses, of course we can't go too far without thinking about the greatest need in all of our lives. It's the problem of our own sin. 
and how it separates us from God, just how desperate and needy and low our condition was before Christ demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so this first movement, I just want us to look back and recognize the great need for salvation that each of us have. The second section of our passage pulls into view the great work of salvation. And we see this really scattered through verses 1 to 3. God performs this salvation in rescuing David. There's a scene in Pilgrim's Progress where Christian, the main character of the book, has left his home in search of heaven. And early in the journey, he accidentally falls into this slimy, muddy, miry, mucky pit. It's like a mixture of, of quicksand and tar. And there's just no way of escape. And then to make matters worse, he's got this burden on his back just pressing him downward. Just before his hopes sink in the mud, a man named Help comes to rescue him. Help instructs Christian to give him his hand and he'll pull him out of the miry clay. And John Bunyan writes, so Christian gave him his hand and Help drew him out and set him upon solid ground, like a rock maybe, and sent him on his way. Well, the scene in Bunyan's story comes straight from this very passage where David tells of how God helped him from his desperate situation. As I was just meditating on this passage this week, the verbs just leapt off the page at me. As far as I can tell, the verbs tell the story, and I really think that's true in all three of these verses. You can look at it yourself and see if that's true. But it overwhelmed me that David's only action is just to lay there and just wait on God. All he brings to the table is his need, and God did all the work. So I want us to look at these verbs that describe what God did, and I want you to notice two things about them before we explore them. First, they are all past tense. These are all things that have already happened. And second, notice who is the active agent performing every action. The Lord. Okay, so let's look. What does God do in performing the great work of salvation? First, the Lord inclined. Now that word could be translated like God bent down, or you could even say he condescended as this great king who rules and reigns over all things, leans down from his throne and enters into the suffering of his earthly son. The Lord inclined toward David. Second, the Lord heard. Just like how we've seen in Exodus, how the Lord loves giving special attention to the cry of his own children. The Lord heard David. Uh, the phrase here is like when someone's attention is completely arrested by the person that they're listening to. There's the incredible focus. and What a comfort it is to know that the Lord hears every cry of his children. Third, the Lord drew him up out of the pit. The verb is drew. Um, we would also use like you draw a pail of water. You could also say he pulled him up. Snatched him up. David sings of how God rescued him this way out of the pit, the miry clay. Now, Scripture never tells us that David spent any time in a pit like this. Um, never was he trapped, that, as far as we know. So what he's doing is what we've seen him do many other times. He's using poetic imagery to communicate his past situation. 
Uh, The Old Testament uses that same word pit to describe death. You can look at Psalm chapter 30, verse 3, where it's that same word. It's used to translate the word death. We don't know the pit that David was in any more than we know the thorn that was in Paul's side. But it must represent a period of his life in which the circumstances had trapped him so that he could not free himself. Of course, how helpful is it that we don't know what David means by this pit or Paul's thorn? Because what that does is give us room for any time we experience these kind of situations in life the lows and valleys that we've endured, to look back on them and and reflect on how they've taught us to cry out and wait on the Lord. The next verb, the Lord set, fixed, placed his feet upon a rock. David is immediately transported from the slippery, sinking surface of the pit to the firm foundation of a rock to stand on. Of course, he's still speaking poetically. He's not actually on a rock. But we've seen him use all kinds of rocky, secure language, like God is a refuge and a strength and a a place that he's hemmed in on all sides from danger. And of course, as the feet go, so goes the body. And so he is now on firm foundation in his life. And the Lord has established his steps. And then finally, the Lord put a new song in his mouth. He, He tuned his heart to sing his praise. He couldn't keep quiet about what God had done in his life. He had to proclaim the wondrous works of God to any and all who would listen. He grabbed a guitar and a microphone and he went on tour all across the country telling any, I'm using imagery here, that he didn't really do this, but this is what he's doing. He wants us to know as he sings how great his God is, how remarkable the salvation of the Lord is. Let's not overlook here the audience of this song. Who's David singing to? He's singing to other people. This is not a song to God in prayer, but a song about God as a testimony. David wrote these words down, yes, so that he could remember the great salvation of God, but so that we also might remember the great salvation of God. How many different situations in your past can you look back on and say, I can't believe how God got me out of that. If it had not been for the Lord. I can't believe it. Well, a part of what I think we should do this morning is just join David in saying praise God for every one of those moments. It could have been a pit of anxiety, a low of depression, or you're sinking in the pain of a, a bad relationship, or even in a valley of circumstances carved by your own hand. But God did not let go of you. It was with you in it and pulled you from it. Perhaps you're reminded of the pit of sin that you fell into, and not even accidentally, and then you fell in it again and again. The hopelessness Just think before Christ of the hopelessness of the pit of sin with no hope of forgiveness, the ache of being separated from God by your sin. But God, in his great grace, inclined, condescended to your desperate condition. He bent down so low and near. 
He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to be born in a borrowed stable. He heard the cries of his people under the weight of the law as we waited for the Messiah to come. Christ plummeted all the way into our death through his death in order to lift us from that pit. And now he has set our feet on the rock of Christ, never to be moved. But wait, there's more. This is like better than an infomercial. He put a new song in our mouth. Well, what does that mean? Well, you couldn't once sing of God's salvation to you in Christ. But I just heard you a few minutes ago, and it sounded beautiful. You didn't have a story to sing of once. Now you have a Savior to sing of, to tell of all that he's done, to tell the great work of salvation that God has done in us. God inclined. God heard. God drew. God set. God put. How much of this did we contribute to our salvation? Nothing. God has done it all. That's what makes it such a great work. Finally, we come to the great promise of salvation in verse 3. After David had been stuck in utter need, and after God had rescued him, we find him singing of all that God had done. We learn in verse 3 that the effect of God's salvation was not only for David, but also for many, many others. The psalmist anticipates that as other people hear this hymn of praise, and as he proclaims and tells God's power to rescue, it will lead other people to put their trust in God, to make God the center of their lives, to place their confidence in his saving power. And what I want to look at is, What is promised to happen as God's people sing the great salvation of our King? First, many will see. Continue to pay attention to the verbs. Many will see. Now, we might think it should say many will hear. You know, this is a song being sung, so it would make sense that people would hear it. But it's not only that they will hear of who God is, but they will come to see in truth and beauty who he is as well. Their eyes will be opened like Saul's as he's walking on the road to Damascus. You know, many of us are a fulfillment of that promise. We came to see. Our ears were deaf to the good news of the gospel. Our eyes were blind to it. And praise God for his grace, we now see clearly. We've heard the voice of Jesus. We see the glory of God, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world, and many more will still come to see. Second, many will fear, okay? Many will see, we understand that, but fear, this seems maybe like a a detour, perhaps, that David is taking. I was really helped by John Calvin's comments on this this week. He explained, David is not improperly joined together seeing and fearing because no man will ever entertain the hope of favor in God, but he whose mind is first filled with the fear of God. And then Calvin says, I understand fear in general, and I think this is very helpful across the board as we think about the fear of the Lord, in general to mean the feeling of piety which is produced by the knowledge of the power, equity, and mercy of God. 
course, piety is just an old way to say holiness. So as people's eyes are open to the one true God, who is mighty to save, their hearts will fall flat before him and tremble like ours did when we came to see how awesome and holy our God is. And many will still come to understand the fear of the Lord this way. Third, many will put their trust in the Lord. And this is the moment when people have heard the good news of God's salvation. Their eyes are opened to the truth of who Christ is. Their hearts are bowed low in adoration. And then they come to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord of their lives. And that's still happening. I'm meeting with a new friend even this month who um, in the recent months has read through the whole Bible and because of God's word speaking to him, place his faith in Christ. His eyes were open to who Jesus is. His ears were tuned. His heart was made to fear. And now we have another brother in Christ. And God has done it all. This is still happening. This is, this is still happening. We want more of this. So David's learned the importance of trusting in the Lord and just waiting. And as he sings who God is, he invites others Don't miss that. He's inviting others to join him in this act of trusting God. And so to any of you who have not yet trusted in the great salvation of the king, and I mean King Jesus, I want to invite you to join me and many of us in this room, as David is inviting us, to join in trusting in the God who saves, to trusting in Christ. Maybe you've been waiting for the right time to surrender your life to Christ. You've been coming up with excuses on why it's not the right time for you to become a Christian. Or um, you've been in the pit so long, you've given up hope of ever being made right with God. Today I invite you to look at the reality of who Christ is, who went into the very pit of death so that he might bring us to life, to fear the one who... Uh, literally every second you borrow your breath from, the God who's sovereign and rules and reigns over all things, to put your trust in the Lord and cry out to him, who is alone is able to save you from your sin. Uh, maybe even this ancient promise made in Psalm 40 would be fulfilled in this cafeteria this morning, even in your own heart. Are you in the pit of sin? You don't have to stay there. Call out to the God who saves. And then to each of us who are in Christ. I I didn't know a good way to conclude this sermon. I kind of wanted to just float out of here together. (laughs) Can we orchestrate that? I don't want to get over being overwhelmed by the salvation of God. My heart be full of thanksgiving for all that he's done. He has saved me in countless ways. And if we had time for the afternoon, we could retell and rehearse all that God's done in our lives. So may we not forget our desperate condition. God's great salvation. And now our great commission to proclaim to the people of Northern Collin County and to the peoples of the world, the God who can save. The great promise of salvation, calling them to see and fear and put their trust in our Lord. So Psalm 41 to 3 is part of a song in which David just looks back on God's past deliverance. 
gives thanks to the Lord for how God had given great salvation to him as king. To borrow the words of Bono, it's a brutally honest explosion of joy. It reminds us how God has saved us from so many snares, including our own sin. And so as we look back on all the ways that God has delivered us, let us marvel in and rejoice and proclaim the great salvation of the King. Let's pray. Father, I do ask for any who feel conviction of sin as if they're still waiting in a pit, that today might be the day of salvation, and in your great grace you would reach into their heart and bring them they would see and fear and put their trust in you. And for each of us who have this song of salvation echoing through our hearts and filling our thoughts and mouths, God, let us not grow tired or weary or overly familiar with your goodness and power and strength and grace. We thank you for the great salvation that you've given to us in Christ. Let the response of our hearts be love and adoration and also proclamation of your saving name. And we ask for your help. Help us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.